We now return to Dr. Gobriel for her comments on the general survey findings. And one interesting trend in this study compared to a similar survey we did a year ago was increasing use of pre-transplant induction therapy with so-called triple regimens, including lenalidomide, bortezomib, and dexamethasone, the so-called RVD regimen. I think people are much more comfortable now with the idea of RVD compared to at least a year ago. It's true, they used to say, I'm not going to use all of my guns at the beginning. I'm going to use them later on, or I'm going to do sequencing Velcadex first or RD first, and then later on add the third drug. I think now we're starting to see more and more people do it. Again, it's a well-tolerated three-drug regimen together. It gives you such a high response and such a good complete remission rate or near complete remission. So that depth of response is very important. And we see that that usually translates into a longer progression-free survival, a longer time-free of disease. I think most of us now are asking other questions like, well, now that you've achieved this, what do you do with the transplant? What do you do with maintenance? Should we use both drugs for maintenance or not? Most of us don't know what to do with bortezomib and lenalidomide together for maintenance, especially in high-risk patients. So it's becoming more and more now that we will use those drugs together for a very long time. We're even thinking of a fourth drug with those now. So RVD has become the platform and we're adding to it either histone deacetylase inhibitors or or in the future, maybe mTOR inhibitors and other drugs that look very active in myeloma. So I think just like CHOP chemotherapy in lymphoma, myeloma will have three, four, five drugs together as long as they have minimal or at least you know low side effects and people can tolerate them well. I think it's worth it to use those high combinations of agents early on. What about the issue of side effects and toxicity? I hear different things from your group, which is that it's not that much more toxic, and yet others have the feeling that maybe it is. It seems more inherently logical that three versus, say, two drugs would be more toxic. What's the actual truth of it? Yeah, I think part of it is because we're very comfortable with using the three-drug combination that we know when to dose reduce. So I think it's very important to dose reduce when you see side effects to manage it early on before the patients develop a lot of neuropathy. I think most of us know very well how to dose reduce bortezomib that should be easy to use for a longer time. I would advise most of the doctors to maybe consider using weekly Velcade instead of the twice a week. It gives you a longer time to use it and less neuropathy in some of the patients. And we're starting to do a lot of those studies now with weekly Velcade instead of twice a week. Another common induction regimen in the pre-transplant setting in our survey is R little d. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. So it's based on the ECOG data from Vince Rajkumar, of course. And I think our little d is a very good regimen. I would be careful with long-term use of this, especially with transplant, but you could potentially overcome this by either doing an early transplant within four to five months or by doing cytoxin for mobilization or plerixifor for mobilization. But I would say the bigger concern is also for those high-risk features in patients with myeloma that you do not achieve that depth of response or you do not get that myeloma response early on. So patients with renal insufficiency, for example, I would be very careful. This is an example of a patient you want a very fast response. You don't want to use lenalidomide in renal insufficiency. You actually want to choose a different regimen and get a higher response. Patients with light chain disease, these are the same ones that get renal insufficiency very fast. I would say bortezomib is useful to be added to Revdex in those conditions or in patients with poor cytogenetics. This is where you really want to add that extra drug with it. There is no right or wrong answer. So there are people who say, I want to use my best drugs at the beginning, get to the depth of response. And if you really believe in complete remission, then the depth of response can be achieved much better 
better with an RVD regimen. If you're one of the people who say, no, I don't have to achieve a complete remission, I want to achieve some response, then R little d is perfectly fine. And again, unless we have an upfront study comparing RVD to RD, which we will never have, it's hard to say which one is right. What about the patient not eligible for transplant? We saw a lot of heterogeneity in induction regimens there. There are so many options now for patients who are transplant ineligible. MPV, which is the Jesus and Miguel study, again, establishes for us uh, melphalan-prednisone and bortezomib. MPT, there has been three randomized studies, so the Facon data and so many other studies using thalidomide. I think most of us, instead of using thalidomide, are moving again to lenalidomide. So the question of MPR, which only 4% people used, which is the Palumbo data, is actually very interesting, and I think most of us will start using more MPR with lenalidomide maintenance, which was MPRR, which was presented by Palumbo and Ash this year. And you'll see, you know, half of us probably would be doing MPRR versus MPV. The question then comes to, well, do I really need the melphalan or not? And again, in an elderly patient, you could potentially use the melphalan. It's a low dose. It's an active drug in myeloma. It's well tolerated. But if you don't want to use melphalan, then R little d is perfectly fine. The problem that we have sometimes is patients may not tolerate very well that high dose dex. Even if it is 40 milligrams once a week, the dexamethasone for some reason is very hard on elderly patients and prednisone or melphalan prednisone may be easier on them. Usually with the Velcade, if it's MPV, I only do once a week. And most of us are doing actually a once a week. So it makes it much better to tolerate than the twice a week MPV. Now, what about the patient who's not transplant eligible yet high risk? The most common answer we got from the investigator was MPV, which is what you answered. But there were a substantial number of docs, particularly in practice, who would use RVD. What about the choice in that situation? Again, most of us think of high-risk myeloma that we have to add bortezomib. Most of the studies out there that are well-documented show bortezomib can overcome some of the poor-risk features of myeloma. So that's why we add the bortezomib in that mix. What about the issue of maintenance after induction therapy in the non-transplant eligible patient? First, kind of how do you define when maintenance is in that situation and what are the options? Yeah. So again, this is an area that's changing a lot. Most of us are using either lenalidomide. In some patients, we're using some bortezomib. The options of maintenance have been in the old days were high-dose dexamethasone or prednisone. And again, most of us don't use that anymore because of the risk of osteoporosis, the immunosuppression, all those problems with steroids. Then thalidomide came to be one of those maintenance things that we used, again, the French study that used it post-transplant. And that was okay. The problem was thalidomide long-term causes a lot of neuropathy. So with the new data of maintenance coming from transplant, we translated to a lot of patients who are even not going to transplant to use some maintenance in them. And this is really revlimid in the large randomized studies, but also bortezomib is coming in in several studies that were presented in ASH last year, either using once every two weeks or three weeks or like two cycles and then some time off and then two more cycles and so on. So we don't know yet how to use bortezomib in those patients, but likely there will be some maintenance with either bortezomib or lenalidomide. Any other comments on the survey? It's actually kind of interesting that the responses of the practicing docs were pretty similar to what the investigators said. 
I think it's interesting how the practice is changing very rapidly and people are very up to date with myeloma treatment. You think myeloma is a rare disease compared to everything else they see, but they are really up to date with treatment. I think the issues that we have problems with right now are should we transplant people or not? Should we do maintenance or not? Should we treat high-risk smoldering myeloma, which is now moving it to an earlier stage or not? How to treat bone disease? I think we still have a lot of problems with bone disease and myeloma. How to treat patients with renal insufficiency, that's still an issue that's not easily addressed. And again, we're now starting to see some of those very high-risk features of myeloma that we didn't see before, those extramedullary myelomas, plasma cytomas growing everywhere. And I think either that's because we changed the biology of the disease, people are living longer and longer, so we're seeing things that we didn't see before, or maybe novel agents are changing something in myeloma that we're starting to see now, like non-secretory myeloma and plasma cytomas that we didn't see before.